Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. My very favorite podcast listeners, so glad that you're here. My name's George, pastor here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church, and I like to just come to you a little bit before the message is to get started on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm down in the church office. I get here early. I pray. I, I get things ready, final preparations before the, the service begins. It's a uh, probably the best time of my week. It's quiet here. Uh, There's nobody else around until my worship team gets here and starts practicing. And that's always a a joy to hear them. But you know, my heart is heavy and I'm really not sure why. This message that we're we're bringing to you today, Acts uh, 21, um, is challenging. How many times have you ever thought... You were really hearing from God, and you were uh, doing God's will, and yet it didn't turn out the way you thought that it would, or even that it should. Was it not God? Did you miss the mark? These are tough questions, and we're going to talk about that today. The good news is, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, this is really what it's all about. God uses all things. For his good and his glory. Even you, even the maybe the bad decision you made, or maybe it was God leading and directing you in the way that you should go. It's a hard thing to tell sometimes. So we do our very best, try to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and read the Word of God. That's how we're truly going to find out if we're on the right track. God bless you, brothers and sisters. I can't wait to see you. Come out and see us here in Tuolumne Community Baptist, right on the corner of Carter and Fur. Um, love to see you. Or, you know, shoot me a text. My phone number, 209-588-3939. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know what this podcast means to you. God bless you. I hope to see you or hear from you soon. Bye-bye. Yes, amen. We are in Acts chapter 21. I think my mic is just a little bit hot. You might turn it down just a little bit. I'm getting just a tiny bit of ringing out of it. No title today. It's not that this chapter is any less interesting. I just couldn't find a title that fit. So we call it chapter 21. Gracie, you're here. Now everybody in podcast land knows you're here. Hey. It's no less exciting than any of the other chapters that we've been through. In fact, if the Holy Spirit has his way, I believe it's going to be challenging. How many believe that we should be challenged when we come to church? We need to be challenged. We're changing, we're growing, we're developing. We need to be challenged. So today is Communion Sunday, and we're going to do communion at the very end of the service. Is that okay with y'all? It gives you opportunity to respond to this message. How many times have you made a decision believing It was the leading of the Holy Spirit. 
only to find the ending of something was not how you thought it would be or should be. Too many times. Was it not the leading of the Holy Spirit? Did you miss the mark and find it was out? It was really just you doing what you wanted to do? Maybe. But these are hard questions. Too often we think, well, I guess it just wasn't the will of God for me. And I must have made a bad decision. Well, maybe. And maybe we need to go deeper in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm still getting a little bit of ringing. You guys hear that? Yeah. It should be on George's mic or pastor's mic or something. The decision Paul is about to make ultimately takes him to prison for years and eventually it leads to his death. And we're going to look at the process that he has made of this decision. Was this the will of God? We know he's a stubborn man. We've showed you. We've talked about it. Could it be he's more concerned about what he wanted and he ignored the warnings of the Holy Spirit? These are tough questions and that you have to answer for yourself. Yes, I have an opinion. Guess what? My opinion doesn't matter. And the beauty of this is, is you can make the decision you want to make about this situation that Paul finds himself in. We're all going to get to heaven soon. And we're going to get to see the Apostle Paul and you can tell him how wrong he was. <laughs> I'll let you go there with him. Let's look at Acts 21 verse 1. Now it came to pass that when we had departed, you notice the we is in there. So Luke is included himself in this team, this, this traveling team. We had departed from there and set sail, running a straight course, and came to Kaz, and the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. I love the way the NIV, this is, I study and preach and teach out of the New King James, because it's what I like, it's my preference, but I love, listen to how the, the, the New King James says, after we had torn ourselves away from them. You guys remember where this ended last week? They were all on the beach, kneeling down, praying. Because they were about to leave and they were weeping because Paul said to him, you're probably not going to see my face again. This is probably it. And you can imagine the emotions that were there. And, he, and so uh, Luke says, at least the way they tran this translator translated, after we had torn ourselves away from them. I just liked it. Verse 2, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and landed at Trey. From there, the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, verse 4, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Notice it said through the Spirit. They told Paul not to go. Well, how did this happen? Well, we don't know. Luke didn't give us the, the clue as to how that happened. They could have been praying and maybe it was a prophecy that came through prayer and, and, and they prophesied over him. I don't know. We don't know exactly how. 
but we know that it was done. And they said, through the Spirit. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children to where we were out of the city. And again, we knelt down on the shore and prayed. This is the second chapter in a row that we've seen this. What a beautiful sight. What a beautiful sight. We should never be ashamed when we're assembled in, in public to pray, to gather and pray. I could just imagine the surfers out there watching these crazy Christians kneeling down on the beach and holding on to one another and praying for Paul. It had to be a beautiful sight. Verse 6, when we had taken our leave from one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Trey, we came to Pelamos and greeted the brethren and stayed with them for one day. Verse 8, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions, I think that's interesting how Luke uh, wrote that in there, we who were Paul's companions, departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, do you guys remember Philip? Come on, guys. You were here with me. We went through this. Philip was back there in chapter 8. Do you remember when they chose these seven guys to be deacons over the church because the Hellenists were complaining that their widows weren't being fed. We know, because we know the rest of the story, that the Hellenists just wanted to take control of the food and the money. But instead, they gave them seven beautiful people that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Philip was one of them. And now he's called Philip the Evangelist. The last time we heard about Philip, he was translated by the Spirit to Astos. You guys remember that? I'll, I'll take you back there. Acts 8.39, you'll see it on the screen. He says, Now when we came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Imagine, put yourself here. You're the eunuch. You're the guy that's being baptized. And Philip's got you. He's got your, your head and your back. And he takes you down underwater. And you come up out of the water and Philip's gone. Gone. Poof. Gone. That's just amazing to me. I, oh, I can't wait to see the replay when I get to heaven for that one. It says, he, and it goes on to say, so when eunuch saw him no more, he went on his way rejoicing. Man, what a glorious time that was. Verse 40, but Philip was found in Astos and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea and there he found the love of his life. God's direction, God's leading took him there. Verse 21, it says, chap, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 9 says, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Let me just stop there for a minute. That's amazing accomplishment. Can you imagine? Four daughters. He calls them virgins, so I tend to think that they're probably a young adult in age. And they prophesied. They love the Lord with all their hearts. What a testimony. There can be nothing greater it is just an amazing testimony. Verse 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judah. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, took Paul's girdle off of him, bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt 
and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. That's a pretty serious statement, wouldn't you say? I mean, he goes into to acting it out, taking Paul's girdle or belt off of him and wrapping himself up in my hands and binds himself to show what Paul is about to go through. Now, when they heard these things, verse 12, both we, this is Paul, Silas, and the others that are traveling with him, um, not Paul, I'm sorry, Silas and Timothy and Luke, and said, and these from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. This is getting serious. Now, another prophet says, the Holy Spirit says, don't go. And everyone is pleading with him. Are they wrong? And the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit wrong? Paul is dead set in planning his direction, his plan of where he's going. So my question is, was this the will of the Lord for Paul to go on to Jerusalem? Was it God's will? When he was in try, the Spirit warned him not to go into Jerusalem. Here the Holy Spirit, Agabus, puts Paul's girdle and binds his hands and feet and says, Thus, the man who owns this, and we all know that's Paul's, will be bound in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. I want to give you two schools of thoughts. Some theologians say that Paul was wrong and moving in his own will and refusing the warning. Some say the Lord was just warning Paul of what was going to happen to him. The disciples inter interpreted this warning as he was not to go. Can you understand that? They loved him. It's, it's pretty easy to understand why the disciples were, if, if these warnings were coming in and, and I was going to do something and you guys are trying to stop me, you would understand the emotion that these guys are feeling. Paul, you can't go. You can't go. So it was heavy. Paul was going to go to Jerusalem. Their interpretation was not to go, to don't go. But you remember when Paul was first converted that the Lord told Ananias, you guys remember that? When Paul was uh, spoke to by Jesus and, and the bright light knocked him off his horse and he's laying there and he, and he sees this bright light, is blinded, and they take him into uh, to, uh, Damascus. And the Lord told Ananias to go to the street called Straight and inquire for Saul and lay your hands on him that, night that he might receive his sight. And can you remember how Ananias felt? He was, he was completely, you know, like, Lord, you know who this guy is? He's been persecuting the church in Jerusalem, and he's got my name. He's, he's going to persecute me. He's going to take me to jail. Lord, I can't do this. But what did the Lord say to him? Behold, this is a chosen vessel unto me, and I am going to show him the things that he's going to suffer for my name. Show me any other else place in Scripture where the Lord has shown anybody the things they're going to have to suffer. Paul then spends three years in the desert with Jesus. And I'm sure he's probably told the things that he's going to have to suffer and the things he's going to have to do. I think there's more to this story than, than what Luke is, has available to him. It seems the Lord was faithful and that he's always warned Paul for the sufferings and the things that he's going to experience. 
And with the warnings, I think he's always giving Paul this opportunity. Hey, Paul, you can duck out if you want to. You don't have to go. Paul has options here, but Paul would always say, no way, Lord, let's go for it. I'm not worried about being in prison. I'm not worried about, you know, being bound. I'm not even worried about giving my life. You could not dissuade me by tears. He said, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Being thrown in jail doesn't bother me. I'm ready to die for Christ and Christ alone. So let's move on. Acts 21, 13. Then Paul answered. He's answering all these guys that are weeping and crying because of what's about to happen. He says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, so when he, when he would be persuaded, he would not be persuaded. We ceased saying the Lord's, the will of the Lord be done. This brings a whole new meaning to what the Apostle Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 5. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That brings a whole new meaning to that scripture. He goes on in verse 8, we are confident, yes, well, pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen. Do you guys get that? It's better to be absent from this body and present with him. It is better. We win. It doesn't matter if the cancer takes you out. It doesn't matter if COVID got your number. It simply doesn't matter. We win. We're walking in our eternity today, and that's where we need to be living. Paul was walking in his eternity. He simply says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. It simply doesn't matter because he knows the why. We talked about that last week. Let's look at verse 15, 21, 15. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Manasin of Syria, no, Cyprus, I'm sorry, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. Obviously, he must have lived there. And when he had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Amazing. He's receiving, he's being received gladly. This is the church in Jerusalem. Verse 18, and on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. Luke doesn't give us the names of these elders except James. And I think this is a very clear indication that James is the head of the church in Jerusalem, that he's the man, he's the one that's running things. We know that John is probably there and, and all the others are there, Thomas and all the other elders, but he doesn't give us those names. Verse 19, and when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, verse 20, they glorified the Lord and said to him, You see, brother, how many midrids of Jews there are who have believed. Man, that's great news. And they are zealous for the law. 
When I first read that, I had I I went what? What? These are Christian Jews. What did he just say? That they're zealous for the law? The law can't save anyone. It's not about the law. They have totally missed the point. Paul never preached down on the law. He preached Jesus completed the law. And we have seen Paul practice ceremonially law in his Nazarite vow just a few chapters ago. Why? Because he's a Jew. And he is, his biggest problem, Paul's biggest problem, is his love for his brethren, for the Jewish people. He loved them deeply. Do you guys remember I showed you a few chapters ago? He said in Romans, he said, I would rather die and go to hell to see my brothers and sister Jews go to heaven. He loved them that much. It's a profound love that Paul had for his own people. He wasn't preaching that way. They were lying. And here, these elders at the Jerusalem church, the mother church, were saying, hey, they're zealous for the law. Look at verse 21. But they had been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. We know that's a lie. Saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. I'm telling you, I know Paul had all these warnings. And he knew that he was faced something desperate coming up in Jerusalem. But I think when this hit him, it must have been, it must have felt like he fell into the twilight zone. Like, whoa, I I wasn't expecting this. I, I wasn't expecting them to be trying to make law their salvation. I wasn't expecting that. Paul doesn't preach that. And when they assembled, verse 22, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you were here. So imagine this. You got James and the other elders. They're they're sitting there in the temple, and they're they're talking, and he says, listen, they're going to know you're here, so we're going to give you an idea of something that you must do. Verse 23, therefore... Do what we tell you. You have four men who have taken a vow. Verse 24, take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses. Of course, they want to be paid so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that the things of which they are informed concerning you are nothing. But you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Paul has already shown them that their ceremony, that their ceremonies are useless, but they're not destructive. That they are only dangerous when they depend on them for salvation. Many other commentators believe this was a terrible compromise on Paul's part. They call him even as much as a hypocrite. Yet the motive behind Paul's sponsorship of these Christian Jews completing their Nazarite vow, he explained it all to us in 1 Corinthians 9.20. He said, And to the Jews I become just as a Jew that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. It is clear 
These accusations are false. But they saw something so different. Honestly, I I really, just talking from myself, just reading this story, I believe Paul is kind of walking around in delirious at this point going, I, I, I expected to be, you know, possibly arrested, maybe thrown into prison or whatever, but to have the church, the church not back me on this, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. And, and I think he said, okay, I'll, I'll do this with you guys. I'll, we'll go through the ceremony. Maybe that'll work and it'll give me a chance to preach Jesus to the rest of the congregation. Let's look at verse 25. But concerning the Gentiles who believe... We have, now, now, this is what's happening in 25. Let me explain this. This is James and those in the, in the church. They're, they're backing up what they've already, what I've already told you in these other chapters. He said, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols. We went over that from blood, from things strangled and from sexual immorality. He said, do these things and you guys will be fine. What they're upset about here isn't the Gentiles. It's the Jews. It's Paul's own people. It's the Jewish people that are struggling here because they, they believe that the ceremonies is what saves them. And it's not. And Paul has been telling them it's okay to be a Jew. It's okay to go through the custom ceremonies, but you've got to believe in Jesus Christ first. He's not telling them not to be a Jew. He's telling them to believe in Jesus. Verse 36, then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Verse 29, For we had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought them, brought him into the temple. Don't tell me that prejudice don't exist, because they do. It's right there in your Bible. They existed then and they exist now. It's right there. They believe that if a Greek came into their temple, that it would and that isn't what Paul preached. They are clean when they accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. They're welcome, but they're not acting that way. And all the city was disturbed, verse 30, and the people ran together. They seized Paul. They dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Can you imagine how that must have felt? We're speaking for Paul's sake now drug him out of the church, his brothers. And as they drug him out, they slammed those doors closed so he couldn't get back in. And not only did they drag him out there, they were beating him. I'm going to show you that. Verse 32, and immediately, uh, let's see, verse 31, right? 
Well, let me go back to my question. Where is the church in all this? Does this story sound remotely familiar to you? When Jesus was taken, where, where were the disciples? They were hiding. A couple of them followed along. You know, Peter and the, and the denial, we got that. He was there, but he, he, was, he was scared for his life. Where are the Christians here? They're gone. They're hiding. They're, they're behind the closed doors. They're, they're, they, they, they got no part of this. Church, we got to be careful that we don't become that way. This is very disturbing. Verse 31. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, the news came to the commander of the garrison, which all of Jerusalem, that all of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centrons and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Brave guys. As soon as they saw the, you know, as soon as they saw the law coming, they, they let off. They stopped beating him. And the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and asked him who he was and what he had done. And some, and some among the multitude cried one thing and others cried another. So he could not ascertain the truth. Because of the turmoil, he commanded him to be taken to the barracks. And when he had reached the stairs, he had to be, Paul had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. This, I, 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 I wish I could build this in your mind. I, in my mind, this is a tremendous mob riot going on here. They're swinging clubs, their things are flying, things are happening, and they had to literally pick him up and carry him in. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out with him, away with him. Are you feeling the similarities yet? Very similar to what Christ had to go through. And I think these are the things that during that three years that Paul was in the desert, with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus. This is what he was being taught. These are the things that are going to happen, Paul. How else could he stand? When then Paul was about to be led into the, bar the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? The commander replied, he replied, can you speak Greek? Understand, Paul spoke several languages fluently. He could speak Hebrew, he could speak Greek. And this commander obviously was Greek. And Paul just spoke to him in his own language. And it, 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 it whoa, wait a minute. You can speak Greek. And look at what Paul says. Or look at what the, the commander says. Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? You might be thinking, well, when did this happen? Who is this guy? Well, you, you can't find it in the Bible. You'd have to go to Josephus and, and look this story up. But this had happened. There was this guy. And Josephus, the historian, wrote about him. And he speaks about the one they're talking about. And he told people that he was a prophet. And he deceived the people. 
who he had persuaded to follow him to the Mount of Olives, where they should see the walls of the city fall at his command, so that the ruins of it, they might enter the city and take over the city. But Felix, the Roman governor, fell upon him, killed 400, and took 200 prisoners. Of the, and the Egyptian, he fled. He got away. So understand what the centurion is saying now to, to Amy. Are, are you that guy? That's who they thought he was. They thought, we finally got this, this Egyptian. Paul said, verse 39, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Permit me to speak. So what is he saying here? Basically, he's telling this commander, I'm a Roman citizen. That's what he's saying. He, he didn't say, I'm a Roman citizen, but he told him who he was and the language he spoke. And, he's, and, and this commander's going, oh man, yeah. You want to speak? I'm still going to take you to jail. We're going to figure this thing out, what's going on. But he gave him permission. In verse 40, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great silence, Paul spoke to him in the Hebrew language. I bet you'd like to know what he said, huh? It ends there. You got to come back next week. But it's interesting. Paul knew what he was doing. He knew what he was what was happening. He had a clear sense of what he was to do and what he was going to have to do. That potentially he could die. But God had filled him and was able to to spare him, I'm looking for something in my notes. Did I skip over a whole bunch of scripture? Did I not? Did I go all the way through it? Okay, because I was looking through something, a point that I was wanting to make, but I, I, I can't find it in my notes. So it doesn't matter. We won't go there. We know that Paul was a Roman citizen, and he turns around and he speaks to all the Jews in Hebrew in their tongue. It's going to be an amazing sermon that he's going to preach, and we're going to hear that sermon next week that he's going to tell these people. It doesn't change anything. He still goes to prison. And eventually he's going to get took to Rome, which is exactly where Paul was planning to go. Now he can do it, not on his own dime, but the government's going to pay for the trip to Rome. But the amazing thing is, how this applies to us today. We make decisions all the time and we pray earnestly. And I know all of you do. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know when you make a decision, you pray. And you might think, and, and, and it just doesn't work out. The way you thought that it should, it just didn't happen. Do you think that it was a waste? Could you, could you potentially be going through life thinking, oh, I just missed it and it's my fault? The Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and it's not our fault. What you can't control is what God can't control and that's people. 
People make decisions that go against your plans that God had led you and directed you. I was just talking to Joe about this this last week. It's some 28 years ago, another lifetime ago, her husband ran off with another, as a missionary, ran off with another woman, and it, it, it just totally destroyed her. And I could imagine that she has gone through from our conversation, she's gone through many years thinking, I did something wrong. I, 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 I missed the mark. I thought it was God's plan for us to go and be missionaries over here. I thought it was God's plan to, to do this. And I said, Joe, it was. It was. And I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you right now that it was. She goes, how's that? And I said, those two beautiful boys that you got. Ones that I wish I could claim for my own. Well, I have. They're, they're unbelievable. They're amazing. And they could only have come. God created them through you and through your husband. Things don't always work out the way we think they're supposed to work out. I followed the word of God. I listened to the will. I moved. I did. Do you think Paul was there complaining that now he's going to be thrown into prison and he's already been beaten? Not at all. Things don't always work out the way we want them to. And we have to be prepared for that. And to trust God for that. I want to be very careful with the statement I'm going to make about her precious son and this beautiful boy from Guatemala. We've only met him through Zoom. And we love him. So is it not going to be God's will if they take him back to Guatemala and pull him out of this home that loves him and is supporting him and giving him everything that he needs? Is that God's will? And I, if they listen to this message, I'm going to tell guys, please hear me. What they're putting into him, this little boy right now, can never be changed. The love of God. He may wind up back in Guatemala and be the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist that ever hit that country. We don't know. And I don't want her kids to, to think if they lose this child that, well, I guess we, we messed up here. No, they're doing God's will according to his plan and his purpose. We just don't get the opportunity to see the end of a thing. as we cry out holy, holy, holy Father there's none more holy than you thank you for meeting us at our praise thank you for your presence Father we, we open our hearts now you open our minds to hear your word allow it to fall on that fertile soil of our hearts change me father change me change us we want to think like you father in Jesus name we pray Amen.
You may be seated. Isn't the presence of God wonderful? I could just stay there. Just stay right there. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're moving right along, going through 1 Corinthians. But I want to recap before we get into chapter 10. Last week we were discussing this term, you might remember, personal liberties. We were talking about what it means and how to determine what is essential to our faith in Jesus Christ and what is non-essential to our faith. And I went through the essential things pretty well, and somehow, somehow I skipped over the whole part of non-essential, and it was even on the PowerPoint, and you all didn't tell me that I skipped over it. Were you not paying attention? Uh, they were just following me. Well, even my man in the PowerPoint, he just jumped right on past there and followed me. So maybe the Lord wanted me to do it again today. I don't know. It's too important of a subject to just skip over. You say, well, why, Pastor? Why do we need to know the things, especially if you say they're non-essential? Well, it's because we are really smart Christians, who have a way of bringing the essential things down of God to a level of unessential and taking those non-essential things up to a level of a sin. It's interesting, but this can cause some really big problems and we don't even know how to handle it. So we're going to talk about it again. You know, we could, we could think that something is a sin and it could cause us even to create more sin in our lives and it really didn't matter. Maybe some of you are not sure about this whole virgin birth thing. Maybe someone is not sure. You know, you say, well, God is love, right? Don't worry about the virgin birth thing. No, it's part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that. Some will say, well, I just don't believe in the whole resurrection thing. If that is even remotely possible as a Christian to not believe in the resurrection, then how are you going to make it to heaven? Because we're all going to be rose again. We're going to be resurrected. So it's very important that we understand those essential things. But we can also make something silly and make it out to be a sin. Like, you know, let's say it's a sin to go to see a movie at the movie theaters. When I was a kid, it was a sin. We weren't allowed to go to the movies. And probably, if I, if I think about it, if I see what's on our TVs today, most of that would have been a sin anyway. But what happens when we take a non-essential, something that doesn't really matter, and we turn it into a sin, then it brings in more self-condemnation and guilt because now your kids are having to lie to you about where they were, what they were doing. It's sometimes complete nonsense, the things that we are taught, all to obtain the, uh, the appearance of self-righteousness. So let me say this, and I'll say it one time. There is no such thing as self-righteousness. There is no such thing. You can't 
make yourself better because you're doing all the right things. The only thing that makes us righteous is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Can I get an amen? amen. We have to believe that. It's complete nonsense sometimes the things we think, things we are taught to believe. So we're going to talk about essential and non-essential things. This is why it's so very important for us to understand. We must be absolutely essential in our faith to know these things. Let's talk about the essentials. The God of this word is the only true God. Amen. The God of the Bible is the only true God. He is God. Some people have a hard time getting their minds wrapped around the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one. Well, Pastor, I really do struggle with that. Well, let me give you a really simple, simple, stupid explanation. Right now, I am acting as your pastor. Can I get an amen? Amen. I'm going to leave here. My wife's not going to call me Pastor George. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be her husband. Same guy. Two jobs. Oh, and if I get the opportunity, I hope to talk to my son this afternoon. Now I'm a dad. Three different specific jobs. Same guy. That's the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're one. They're God. And you have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We also have to believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. I've shared this so many times, that, you know, but there are new ones here that haven't heard it. I give the Holy Spirit a name. He has my own name. I call him Charlie. Because I just always felt it was really weird to say, Holy Spirit, I really need help. You know, it, it just sounded weird. And I said, if I could give you a name, I'd sure feel a lot better. And he said back to me, what would you call me? And I said, Charlie. And he smiled back at me. I could feel it in my spirit. He said, I know why you called Charlie. I loved him too. Because there was a man in my life named Charlie that I loved. He said, you can call me Charlie. And every time I get in a situation where I really need the presence of the Holy Spirit, I need him now. I'll say, Charlie, are you there? He'll say, yes, I'm here. I'm right here. I've got you. We have to believe it. It's essential that we believe in the person of the Holy Spirit, the atonement of Christ, Jesus dying in our place. The atonement, he made atonement. He paid the price. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done. The resurrection of Jesus. We have to believe if you're going to be resurrected and make it to heaven, you have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. How about salvation by faith through grace? It's not about what you know. It's about what he's done. Jesus is that grace. By faith through grace, we are saved. So let's talk a little bit about non-essential things. You might be surprised. We're, we got into this whole subject because of the first one, eating meat sacrificed to idol. Well, we don't have to deal with that today because there is no big Bob's Pagan Burgers down the road. I thought about calling the place that, Big Bob's Pagan Burgers. I think they probably sell a million hamburgers with some Aphrodite sauce. You know, we laugh and it is kind of funny. 
But there's often times, and the Apostle Paul was trying to tell them back in their culture in that day when it was a big deal, it really doesn't matter. And you're going to see that more today in chapter 10. It doesn't matter. You bless it. That's why we pray before dinner. Y'all pray before dinner. That's why we pray. Father, bless this food. Bless it. Maybe it's undercooked, especially if you bought it at Applebee's. <laughs> Let's pray for this food. You know, you know. That's why we do it. Going to the movies. Now, there are movies that I would not go to. That would be considered sin. Amen? But can we have common sense? That's really what I'm trying to say here. It, it's a non-essential. Jason, when your kids want to go to the movies, you best well figure out what the movies are they're wanting to see. That's your job. You're the dad. You're the mom. You figured out what it is they want to see, and you determine, is it okay for them to see it? And then you make up your mind whether to let them go or not. It's not a sin. It's unessential. Don't put that kind of self-condemnation on your kids. But be a good parent and check out what it is they're wanting to see. You better be looking at their computer screens to see what they're looking at. It's important. What about having a cigarette? Is it a sin? Drinking alcohol. Is it a sin? Talking about serious stuff now. I'm only sorry that we don't have ashtrays in front of the church and there ain't cigarette butts in it. Because people out there smoke and we want them to come in here. The only thing that smoking is going to do is kill you, brother, sister. And I pray that you quit like I did. But it's unessential. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to keep you out of heaven. Neither is drinking. Does it make you stupid? Yep. Can it cause you to sin? Amen. And why would you want to give control of your mind over to any substance? Well, how about some things that other churches believe? Remember, we're talking about things that are unessential, non-essential to our salvation. How about speaking in tongues? There are churches, you can ask Jim, we both were confronted this many times when we were doing chaplain ministry at the jail and at the prison. They were told, if I don't speak in tongues, I'm not saved. They're lied to. The Apostle Paul said, I wished you all did, but I know that you won't. Because it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And I personally wished you all did, like I do. But it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing to be afraid of. And it's non-essential to our salvation. It's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to keep you from heaven. What about the tribulation? We have pre-tribbers, mid-tribbers, and post-tribbers. All about the rapture. Let me say this, all non-essential. Now, I didn't say non-important. Can I get an amen? amen. I didn't say non-important. These are important subjects and things. You need to search the scripture, scripture and, and make a decision for yourself of where you stand and what you believe. I didn't say they were unimportant. I said they were non-essential because there's too many churches to try to push it down your throat and pull, put condemnation on you. Oh, I don't speak in tongues, so I must, I must not be saved. I must not have the Holy Spirit living within me. That's a lie. You do. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. But there's still another gifting of baptism in the Holy Spirit, too. So there's more. I did not say these things were unimportant. I'm saying that they were non-essential to our salvation. 
But guess what? Only God himself knows when he's going to come for the church. Personally, I'm a pre-tribber. Yes, amen. And I believe in the rapture, and I believe that he is going to come and, and during, before the tribulation and take us. Amen. And not everybody believes in the way I do, and it's okay. I can fellowship with people who don't believe as I do. They're wrong, but I can still fellowship with them, amen? I can. I don't mind fellowshipping with people who are ignorant to the facts and have lost their blessed hope. They're still believers, and they're still my brothers and sisters, amen? amen. So it's important that we study the Bible and, and we learn these things and get an idea of what it really means. Jesus is coming. He is coming soon. Well, I've been hearing that for 90 years here at the church. You know, I've been here. Every, well, he's coming. The time is close. So now let's move into chapter 9, a recap. The Apostle Paul found himself in the first part of chapter 9 defending his apostleship to his own people of the church that he planted. And he didn't even get upset. He got sarcastic. We heard that in his tone when we read it. I'd have been more upset than him. We know that there were 12 apostles originally. So they were questioning the apostle Paul is, what gives you the right to be an apostle? And we still question that today. We know that by reading, we found out there are some facts, some qualifications. We know that there were 12 original apostles, the 12 disciples. Judas killed himself. We read that in Acts 1. Peter made a big deal to replace him with someone who had been with them and Jesus. And this person had to have witnessed Jesus in ministry as well as seen the resurrected Lord. Why did he feel that way? Well, because Jesus said this in Matthew 19, 28. He said, so Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who followed me will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, that sounds like a big deal. So Peter went to work to replace Judas while they still had men around them that had seen the resurrected Christ. They chose two men that qualified. But they could not choose between the two of them. I always thought that was pretty interesting, that they couldn't make up their own minds. So they drew straws. They had Joseph, also called Barabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Matthias won the straw. So he became that 12th apostle. We don't hear anything more about him in the Word of God, but I know that we're going to see him sitting on those 12 thrones when that day comes. We believe from the text, we can assume that he was one of the 120 uh, disciples who waited for the Holy Spirit to descend on them on the day of Pentecost back in Acts 1. So we don't see or hear much about this Matthias, but we believe that he'll be on the throne. So the question that we have, bringing it back to us, do we have apostles today? A great question. Paul had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, getting back to the Apostle Paul. Remember back in the study of Acts, then it seemed Paul spent three years in the desert. His fourth version of Paul's story 
claiming to encounter Jesus in Galatians 1, 15 through 18, where Paul said, Jesus ordained Paul an apostle to the Gentiles, and I believe that. After the encounter, Paul didn't rush back to be with flesh and blood. He retreated to Arabia and Damascus for the time of three years where I personally believe Jesus was there mentoring Paul to be the apostle that he was before returning to Jerusalem. So getting back to do we have apostles today? Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what I think, but I'm going to tell you what I think. Because there are people that believe that we do. And some don't believe that we do, and it's unessential, but I'll tell you what I believe. We already know the qualifications that the apostle for the office of apostleship. If someone holds the office of apostle, he or she is an administrator over protecting many churches. Paul wrote this to the Ephesian churches. I'll read you a little bit of Ephesians, but... I want to say something. I believe that Michael Cook was our apostle over the Motherlode Association. That he he was called the uh, director of missions. But in reality, the office, he was our apostle that looked over what's 17 churches or whatever it is in our in our Motherlode batch of churches, that was his job, to look over the churches, to make sure we weren't going astray, to make sure we had everything that we needed. That was his job. That's the office of apostle. We still have people operating and functioning in that office today. Ephesians 4, 8 through 12 says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean, but he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? If you're not a Bible student and you're going, what on earth is he talking about? When Jesus died on the cross, he descended into what was in the center of the earth, and it was called paradise. It's where all the patriarchs of the Bible, where everybody has been waiting for this great time of Jesus on the cross. And then he took all those, and it actually increased the size of of hell, and he took them all to heaven. Verse 10 says, He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors like me, and some teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, edifying the body of Christ. So this is where I stand. God can make, if he could take a man like me, uneducated, untrained, and make you, make me your pastor, he can appoint apostles. The office of apostleship is alive and well, and it takes care. It's more like the, of an evangelist working with many churches. We just have to have the word of God in us so that we can judge what he or she is truly from God. Can I get an Amen. So now let's move on to chapter 10. First, let's see where we ended in chapter 9. This is so important. The Apostle Paul was dealing with that situation where they were questioning him about his authority as an apostle, which was threatening his authority as their leader, as their pastor. It, it was it, Actually, it was quite hurtful. 
But then he ends chapter 9 this way, which was an amazing thing that he said. Chapter 9, verse 24 says, Do you know that those who run a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for a prize is temperate in all things, that they do it to obtain a perishable prize, but we for an imperishable crown. Man, I tell you, I love that scripture. What is he saying? If you're running for a prize, you want to get to heaven, you, you do it in a temperate spirit. Well, what does that mean? You exercise, you watch what you eat, you go to sleep at a reasonable hour, you don't stay up all night, you don't drink, you don't, you don't go with girls that smoke and drink. You know, you do all those things that are right, you're temperate. And that's what we as Christians, we, 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 we're temperate with our bodies and we try to do what's right because we want to obtain that, that unperishable crown. He said, verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Least when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Man, that's, I read that to myself. I don't want to be disqualified. That's why I don't do certain things. It's not that I think that they're a sin. Manny, we can go out and drink a beer or two, but you know what? It would look, appearance to me, that would be the wrong thing to do because it could cause you to stumble. It could cause others to stumble. So that's why I, I hold back. I don't do the things that some say, well, you're giving things up. No, I'm not. I'm going after that imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I do, want, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under a cloud and they passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses, verse 2, in the cloud and in the sea. And verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food. Wow. Now think about it in, in context. First, they were attacking his apostleship. Who do you think you are? Then he goes on and he tells them why he's temperate, why he, he does certain things a certain way because he wants to obtain that unperishable crown. Then he goes on, it's all, you know, there wasn't in chapter and verses then, it continues on that he takes us into the history of the Israelites. They all passed under the cloud and passed through the sea. You know, this is what convinced me that when we get through 2 Corinthians, we're probably going to go back and, and do a whole study on the life of Moses and the children of Israel so we know for sure what these things mean. Let me try to explain to you a little bit. They passed under the cloud. When the children of Israel went across that sea that was divided and they went through the dry ground, they got to the other side. Guess what was there? Desert. He provided them with a cloud. How do you survive in the desert? It could be up to 130 degrees out there. God provided them a cloud that protected them, that kept them UV rays from just killing them off. And he provided with them food. You guys remember the name of the food? He sent them manna. Well, I would love to try some of that manna today. They described it that it tastes kind of like a, like a wafer dipped in honey. Kind of makes me think of a hot Krispy Kreme donut. Like manna, manna. But you know, after 40 years, they got a little tired of it and they began to complain. So let's go on with some might think, 
he was changing direction in his letter, but I don't think he was doing that at all. I think he was showing them who he was. It says in verse four, it says, and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Okay, God provided that. They ate the spiritual food. We know what that is, manna. They drank from the spiritual rock for the rock of the spiritual rock that followed them. And he says that that rock was Christ. That's what Paul said.